They played. The announcements worked. How are y'all doing? We'll see. I mean, we'll see. I don't know how I'm doing. I'll let you know after service. Um, so, uh, have y'all been uh, keeping up with the news? What's going on in the world? No. Did y'all know that what happened Tuesday? No. Tuesday began election month. Y'all hear about that? So, anyway, I'll, I'm sure I'll talk a little bit more about that during the message. I can't help it. Um, so we are in the Gospel of John. We are on the 38th message of the Gospel of John, and I'm not exaggerating. That sounds like a joke, but it's 38 messages in, and we're in. I know that last week um, I preached over some of these verses, but I'm going to do it again because there's more to be said. Um, and uh, next week, I mean, I'm going to just be honest with you. It says 31 through 36, but I really only preached two verses today. Um, so if that makes you uncomfortable, it's fine to be uncomfortable for you. Like, I don't, I mean, it's fine if you're uncomfortable. I care a lot. <clears throat> so Jesus is talking about, in these verses, Jesus is talking about freedom. And freedom is a really, really big deal. If we look at how our uh, society has been over the past two years or three years or however long, it's, it's been a long time. Um, but if you look at how our society has been, the government has taken freedoms from us and then, and then allowed us to have them back and then uh, taken them again and then they would allow us to have because the government is what gives us freedom right <laughs> uh, no no so uh this isn't going to be that kind of message i promise but i know I, I, it looks like i'm setting it up to be that way but it's not uh so the cultural moment we're in right now some of thought that um i am i, I have talked i talk too much about politics and then some people are like hey you really should take a stand and and preach more like talk about politics more and uh so um i i have this what i'm focused on is not your 80 years on the planet but the 80 trillion years that are coming and uh i i care about your eternity and so i will talk about soul problems because those things are eternal versus cultural problems i will talk about cultural issues because that can point us to eternal things um which is very important but um what i'm really focused on is the eternal things the, the eternal truths the truth of the word um and for people it's very difficult because what is happening with my mic can y'all hear it dropping out and coming back i'm so sorry this is, it's me, it's me, I'm like a ventral, um, so I can use this one, no, it's not, the, look, it's fine in here, I could just take the mic off and y'all could all hear me, but online, it looks like I'm muting every few seconds, so um, I'm going to let it do it one more time, and then I'm going to start using this mic, don't let it do it again, okay, all right, don't, let me turn this one off, sorry, hey, did y'all know we have a podcast? Hey. <laughs> uh, if you're new to this place um we have a podcast it's the same thing you're listening to before you start getting excited and thinking there's going to be something good it ain't it's just this so uh, <laughs> so anyway um we talk about soul problems versus cultural problems for people like me it's difficult because i have to speak to in the room the the homeschool stay-at-home mom that thinks that dinosaur bones were put on the earth by Satan to distract us from the truth. And then, not that all the homeschool moms are like that, but some of y'all are weird. Um, and, then, and then I also have to speak to the young liberal socialist that believes there's 200 genders and global warming and everyone has to wear Lululemon jeans to be cool. And, you know, you know look, it's like, I, I'm, so I have to try to, it's Todd, it's Todd I'm talking about. So I have to try to, 
I have to try to connect with everyone. So this is what I do. This is my method, just so you know. In order to connect with everyone, I don't sit and try to, to form eloquent words. Thank God I'm not trying to do that because I'm failing if I am. Um, but w- this is what we do. We just, let's just stick to the gospel because it's about the gospel for us. Uh, there is not power in... I could come up here, and y'all have seen those famous preachers that go up and they preach these very powerful, emotionally driven messages. And it's great. Like it gets me fired up. But then um, it's like, it's like eating Chinese food. Like, you know, you eat it and it's like, man, it's good. And then like 10 minutes later, like I'm hungry. What happened? I just ate a whole bunch and now I'm hungry. And I hope that you're grabbing a hold of the truth of the gospel and you're chewing on it and it's it's causing you to hunger only for that because uh, you're not hungering for these eloquent beautiful sermons that I'm preaching it's not that it's the power is only in the gospel and I can prove it in Romans 116 says for I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the I'm gonna give you another chance just y'all are gonna say the word power in all these verses okay I'm not saying it for I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the of God. 1 Corinthians 4.20. Don't make a 4.20 joke. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in That's right. 1 Corinthians 2, 4. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. That's me. Like, not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of... 1 Thessalonians 1, 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in... And in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. There is power in the gospel over all things. There's power in the gospel. Amen? So let's look at that power in the gospel. This is, this is our verses for today. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. I, I really read it like this in my head. I have to do the voices. Do y'all do voices in your head when you're reading? Uh, hey, let me just tell you, some of y'all, and I'm gonna talk about this in a minute, but some of y'all think the Bible's boring. If you will start doing voices... It's not boring anymore because the Jews, like every time the, Jew, the Pharisees, man, they sound funny in my head. Whenever I'm, whenever I'm in a situation, I'm reading the historical books like, like this situation, I actually put myself there. There's been many times where I will meditate on the word and meditating on the word, I'm putting myself in the story and I'm watching the story play out. And if you'll put yourself there, the Bible becomes extremely interesting, extremely interesting. So, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And every time I read Jesus' voice, it's my voice. In case you're wondering. Uh, they answered him, we're offspring of Abraham. <laughs> I can't do it. And have never been enslaved to anyone. We talked about that last week, how um, that's just a straight-up lie. As a matter of fact, even while they're saying this, they're slaves in the Roman Empire, like pseudo-slaves in the Roman Empire. So how is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. John 8. So Jesus said to the Jews, I'm just going to walk through it real slow. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word. In John 15, Jesus said, I abide in you, you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. The word abide is minute. Everyone say minute. 
Look at, you probably can't see it from there, but there's always some kind of technical difficulties. This is the word abide right here. It's really small. You can't see it. I don't know what happened to the computer. Uh, so I just, if I'm distracted, we're all going to be distracted, okay? Uh, abide is, is mean it, and it means, uh, mean it, and it means to stay, to remain, to wait. And my favorite definition of that is to await. So we abide in him. We wait we remain and we await. Await has this expectation of waiting to it. And I love that. Like whenever we await the results of an election or whenever we await uh, God to move in our health or we await God to move in our finances or we await God to, to do some miracle in our family. Like those are the things. So I ask you, will you remain? Because anybody can start something. It's very easy to start something. I know a lot of people... Um, that, look, if, if one of us is distracted, we're all going to be distracted. So I'm just going to bite my tongue. Uh, somebody said something last week about, like, somebody was sitting up here. And if it's you, I'm not calling you out. Like, we're a family. But somebody was sitting right here, and the phone was, the phone was going off. And so they said, you should say something when that happens. And I'm like, no, what if it's a visitor? And then I say something, and then the visitor gets mad, and they walk out. And like, well, they're going to probably walk out anyway. Because you make people mad. And so, um, anyway, that's nothing to do with anything. One time there was a baby crying. This, there was a baby crying in the, in the message, and the baby kept going. And, like, you know, if you're a parent, usually, if you're a normal parent, you are way more uncomfortable than everybody else is if your baby's crying, right? If you're a normal parent. This lady was not a normal parent, okay? <laughs> so she was like, well, they can just deal with it. Jesus had babies in his sermons. So... Uh, she was, the baby just kept going and going and going. And so the guy said, hey, I speak baby. And that baby's saying, what's the foyer look like? <laughs> so I'm not going to do that. But next time you get a phone call in here, I'm going to be like, if that's Jesus, tell him why I said what's up. <clears throat> Anybody can start something. Will you remain? Anybody can start. You can start a business and fail. And it's fine. You can start another business and that business can fail. It's fine. And you can start another. Anybody can start something, but will you remain? Anybody can get married. I told the story in first service, but I did a, a, a wedding one time with this young couple and I knew one of them, but I did not know the other one. Uh, the one that I knew, her family was heavily involved in gang activity and drug dealing. And that was the friend of mine. And <laughs> just... That's how I roll, guys. And uh, so um, she was going to marry this guy, and I was like, are you sure you want to get married? Because I, I didn't really think it was a good match. But they're like, yes, we want to get married. I'm like, okay. So they rented the butterfly garden at the museum, the Houston Museum, and it's this very expensive venue. And they and I'm like, this is kind of a big deal. And so uh, we're there, and then the, the the groom rolls in with his crew, and I was like, hey, y'all ready? And I, like, I'm, I'm, I grab his shoulder. I'm like, hey, you got cold feet? And I'm just totally kidding. And he's like, I don't think I can do this. And I was like, <laughs> good one. And he's like, no, I'm serious. I can't do this. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> so I, we went to the van. And I was like, look, let's pray. And then, you know, we need to figure out what you're going to do. He's like, I, I, don't, I don't know. And I said, look, I'm gonna, we're going to pray together. And then um, we're gonna get, I'm going to get out of the van. And you're going to get out whenever you hear from the Lord. And it, if the Lord says, don't do it, then don't do it. If the Lord said, and we're going to run. Because her family would have killed me. Literally, they would have killed me. Like, dead killed me. Like, I'm not joking. They would have killed me going out there saying, hey, there's not going to be a wedding today. Sorry. You know, so, um, so I sat in the van. We prayed. And then 
like 15 minutes rolls and I'm like just looking back and like 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour. About an hour, I'm like, okay, there's not going to be a wedding today. So I start to walk back and I'm like, how am I going to say this? And then like, where's the exits? I got to get out of here quick. And then he stops me and he's like, hey, wait. God told me that I need to marry her. And I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> so uh, we go and we do, the, we do the, the wedding and then less than a month, they were done. Like they were separated. It's heartbreaking, heartbreaking. And, you know, anybody can start something. Anybody can start a marriage. Um, but it's not about the first day of your, your marriage. It's about the last day. On the last day of your marriage, will you be able to say that you loved and served your wife like Christ loved and served the church? Will you be able to say that you, you love and respected your husband? Um, and that's what it's about. Did you cause your family to flourish? Did you cause your community to flourish? Did you cause your church to flourish? Because that's what it's about. With your last breath, will you be able to say that you remained in Jesus? Will you still love and treasure Jesus above everything else? Because what I see is people are not remaining in him. People are getting distracted and pulled off in all these different directions, and they're disengaging with the church. And so when you disengage with the church, you disengage with Jesus. And I promise you, everyone in the room's heard someone say, look, I can be a Christian and not go to church. Nuh-uh. That's what you can tell them. That's Greek for nuh-uh. Like, no, you can't. You cannot be a successful Christian and not be part of a body of Christ and not be part of a body somewhere. You have to. That is an absolute must. You have to. And so people will say, like, me and God have an understanding. It's just like Jesus and me, and I just don't like organized religion. Good thing we're not organized, huh? And so I just don't like organized religion. And I just, I don't like church. Look, you're not going to believe this. I'm going to let you in a little fact. In my life, I've had a lot of friends. I know you didn't think I did, but I really did have a lot. It's not that funny, okay? I, I've had a lot of friends. Do you want to know, and, and of, of my lot of friends, Jessica, my wife, has not liked all of them. And no, that's not good. But she's like, those people are knuckleheads. Don't be spending time with them because you're already on the verge of knuckleheadness, and you can't be around other people because they're going to pull you into it. And so... Um, do you know how many close friends I've had that Jessica didn't like? Zero. I've had zero close friends that Jessica didn't like. And here's why. You can't be close to Jesus without being close to his bride. I'll let it sink in for a second. You cannot be close to Jesus without being part of a church. The church is the bride of Christ. You cannot be close to Jesus and not be close to his bride. And it's silly for you to think you can. People are leaving the church and they're not remaining. Can you remain? Right now, as I, as I, if I were to sit down with you, just you and me, say, hey, can you remain till the end? Every one of you is going to be like, yeah, I can. Don't be dumb. Like, there are traps in front of you. They are set there already to pull you off track. Be aware of those traps. Be, be um, with your eyes, your spiritual eyes wide open so that you know that you can be pulled off track too, no matter how strong you think you are. The people that, that fail tend to be the, the arrogant people that think that they've got it all together. There's no way I could ever fail. Uh-uh, you can fail. And the pride comes before the fall, and we all know that. The church... 
is not, it, the church is a collective thing. It's not an individual thing. It's not just you by yourself watching online. Now, if you're watching online today, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to all these people in the room, okay? Not you. You can watch online. <laughs> sometimes you have to. Look, I get it. Like, sometimes you have to. Make it an exception, not the rule, okay? Sometimes you have to watch online because you can't make it to the building. If you can make it to the building, make it to the building. If not for your sake, for ours, because we need you. We need you to be part of this group. So the church being a collective thing is not about just you raising your hand one day and and responding to the message of Jesus and saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back, and I'm going to follow Jesus all by myself. And then you just move on with life. Every image in the Bible regarding the church is always this collective thing. It's the body, it's the temple, it's a, it's a family, it's a group. And that means that sometimes you have to let people speak into your life. And let me just tell you, that absolutely stinks at times. Whenever you say, all right, somebody, somebody that you love, it stinks on both sides. There are some people that really like confrontation. If you're someone that really likes confrontation, you need Jesus Okay, you should not really like confrontation. That doesn't mean some people, uh, some people are good at it. Like some people are good at confrontation. Some people are really bad at it and they avoid it at all costs. Neither one of those is healthy. Sometimes someone will come to you and they will say, hey, look, you have this sin in your life. And you're like, worry about yourself. You know, and you don't want to accept it at all. You will fight against it. And that person is, is doing something that's uncomfortable for them most of the time. And, and they're doing it because they love you. And so whenever we, we think about when Jesus said, before you go to get the speck out of your, your brother's eye, get the plank out of your own, just because someone that confronts you, their life is an absolute mess. They, they have, you know, their kids are re- rebellious and they're terrible and, and they can't keep a job and they're just, they're, their life is a total wreck. Just because that person that's a total wreck comes to you and says, hey, you have a sin in your life, it doesn't mean that you don't have a sin in your life. Sometimes people that have planks in their own eyes can also see the, the speck in yours. Just because someone has a plank in their eye doesn't mean you don't have a speck in yours. Sometimes people that have a plank in their own eye doesn't mean you don't have a plank in yours. So sometimes God will send a donkey to come and speak. You know, there's a story in the Bible where the donkey talked. It's like, shrek. You know, and, and it comes up, and that's what, you're, that's what you're experiencing right now. A donkey is speaking to you right now. <laughs> Enough of that. You can't, you, you can't just, for those of you online, people are amening that a little too heartily. Um, the, you, it's not just you by yourself. Here's the problem in our culture and why, how we can get to that. The culture says that comfort is the highest thing that we need to pursue, that we should be all about comfort. So people will look around, even when it comes to churches, they're looking around for the most comfortable thing when it comes to churches. So they're like, you know, um, we need to find a church with a good kids ministry. And so they look around, they find a church with a good kids ministry. And they're like, well, this has a good kids ministry, but we need a good kids ministry and a good youth ministry. And so they'll, they'll look around and they'll find a church with a good kids ministry and a good youth ministry. They're like, this is great. And they'll go there for a little bit and they're like, you know, what we really need is a church that has a good kids ministry, a good youth ministry, and a good young adult ministry. And so they, they find a church that has those things. And then they go, 
Well, I mean, a kids ministry, a, a youth ministry, a young adult ministry, and a college, like we really need a college ministry too. So, um, so they find that church. And then they're comfortable in that church. And they find everybody that looks like them. And they're like, you know, what we really need is a church that has a good kids ministry, a good youth ministry, a good young adults ministry, a good college ministry, and young couples. Because that's where it's at, young couples. And they just keep looking around, and then they keep excusing themselves from, from many churches that they probably should have been part of. Um, but they kept looking for the, the most comfortable place for them. And they're like, you know what we really need? is we need a church that has a good kids ministry, a good youth ministry, a good young adults ministry, a good college ministry, a good young couples ministry with one boy, two girls, two fish, one cat, a dog, and a Range Rover. And if we can find those people, those are our people. We get them. They get us. Like, we need to find the most comfortable. We've had so many people leave our church because, look, we try to make you comfortable. We really do. Like, we try. It's not even cold in here today, right? Like, we try to make you comfortable. We have coffee and donuts. What more could you possibly want? You're like, coffee? If we, we need a church that has coffee and donuts and lattes. Like, we need a church that has coffee and donuts and lattes and fresh fruit. We need a church that has coffee and donuts. Look, let me just tell you, if you are just looking around to find a church that is about your comfort, that's, you're, you're never going to find it. You, you have to go to a church that's not about you. You... Go to a church that's not about you. We do our best, but people have left our church because they didn't like X. And whatever the X, fill in the blank for X. But it's the, the youth ministry wasn't what we wanted it to be. Or the kids ministry wasn't what we wanted it to be. Or, or the music, or the probably the preaching. Um, there are so many things that it could just be this and that. If God has told you, everyone look me in the eyes. If God has told you to be here, this is where you're supposed to be period. And if God has told you to be here and this is where you're supposed to be, plug in. Get involved. Don't just sit in the seats. Be part of the body because God has, this church has a mission to affect the community and we need you as being part of the body. And so what has happened for you fortunately or unfortunately is you end up being part of a church with a bunch of losers who don't have it all together, they don't have it all figured out, that there are people in here that don't talk like you, they don't look like you, they don't act like you, but it's not about you, Bubba. It's not about you. It's about Jesus and his glory. And the grinding against you, the discomfort that you feel with some of the people, it actually sharpens you. It makes you better. I know that you're going to disagree with me on things often, and you're going to tell me about it, unfortunately. And I'm going to disagree with you on things, and that's the point. You don't have to agree with me on every single little thing. There's not a monolithic, one-way Christianity that everything has to be done this exact way. We sharpen each other, and it is beautiful because we're all imperfect people. We, Life Church, New Braunfels, we have messed up people. We have messed up people here because the church is a hospital for messed up people. Can you imagine going to a hospital, an actual hospital, and walking in and saying, ooh, there's sick people here? <laughs> you would expect sick people because that's where sick people go to get not sick. When you walk into a church, you should expect messed up people because that's where messed up people to go, go to get not messed up anymore. Like they go to get healthy. And 
Unfortunately, and you all know this to be true, some churches mess people up even more. I, God, I hope and I pray, this honestly is probably the number one thing I pray about our church, is that we are nursing people that are disenfranchised with the church back to health. Because, just being honest with you, and I'm not bashing any specific churches, the church has done a terrible job of representing Jesus well. And I want us to represent Jesus well. Like, I want us to to genuinely be bringing glory to God because that's what it's about for us. The church is not a museum for beautiful porcelain dolls, Christian dolls that make that are like perfect. That's not us. If that's what you're looking for, like deuces, because it ain't us. Like we are a ragtag bunch. Um, we've been beat up and we've been tossed around by life. And But here's the great thing that I can tell you. If you're not part of our group, then reach around and grab a hand because we're going to get through this, these storms together as one and we're going to remain until the last day. We're going to remain until the last day together. So that's my heart. That's your pastor's heart. So John 8, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word. This is really interesting and it's beautiful because Jesus is no longer with us but we have his words, and his word, we mean the Bible. He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be gone for a while, but here's what I need you to do. I need you to actually remain in the Bible. I need you to love it, to take it into yourself, to read it, to study it, because it will show you how to live, and it will show you how to think. How are you supposed to think about money? How are you supposed to think about uh, relationships and marriage and work and neighbors and politics? The Bible tells us all of this, and it makes it very clear the way we're supposed to think. And we have to remain, we have to live and remain in his word, not in your feelings. And did you know that sometimes your feelings can take over? Did y'all know that? Probably not y'all. You've probably seen it happen with others. That baby's feelings taking over. So, yeah. Sometimes we let our feelings take over, especially what is happening with our kids. See, look, if this is your church, we need more kids workers. You go, somebody got to shut them kids up. So, don't no one run out of the room. It's that doesn't bother me at all. Um, but if I'm distracted, we're all going to be distracted, just to be clear. Uh, so in the charismatic movement, we're a charismatic church. I don't know if you know this, but we believe in being filled with the Holy Spirit. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We believe in, in, in doing the things and being led by the Holy Spirit. We're a charismatic church, but like a charismatic church with a seatbelt. You know, some of them need a seatbelt. Um, y'all been to those places, right? You've seen those churches where they're like, and there's like stuff going on. And you know what? If that's for you, like you like that, man, more power to you. Have at it. Go for it. You're just probably not going to experience that here yet. I mean, I don't know. Maybe. Someday. Maybe. I don't know what y'all are going to do. I never know what y'all are going to do. But let me tell you, in the charismatic movement, um, emotions and feelings have a lot more power than they should. Um, I, I heard this guy talking about, he's like, he had a, a healing ministry. And I put that in quotes. So you'll see why in a second. He had this healing ministry. And he would say, you know, whenever God, uh, whenever someone comes to me and says, uh, you know, I need healing for this, God would just speak to me. And he would just tell me how to pray for them. And it was just so beautiful. And he's like, one time this lady would come up to me. This lady came up to me and she had arthritis. She was 70 years old. And I was like, God, just heal this lady's arthritis. And God told me to kick her in the face. 
This is true. Look it up. You can find it on YouTube. God said, God told me, kick her in the face. So you know what I did? I just kicked her in the face. And then, boom, she was healed. Hallelujah. You don't need spiritual discernment to understand there's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with that picture. But you know, Christians can slide into that. Um, maybe not all at once. I mean, can you imagine kicking an old lady in the face? Like, because she has arthritis? Like, she's unconscious. She didn't get healed. She's just unconscious. She can't feel her arthritis. Like, zero times in the Bible does Jesus do this. He doesn't do anything like this. Like, you, can you imagine? He brings the blind, the lady with the issue of blood, reaching for the hem of his garment. Poof. Like, can you imagine? Like, G- Jesus never did anything, never did anything like that. Um, but Christians, look, Christians are the, I love you. Let me just preface it with this. I love you, okay? Christians are the worst people at falling for conspiracy theories. We just are. We just are. And, and you know why we can fall into those things? It's really simple. It's because you don't know the Bible. You just don't know the Bible well. If you know the Bible, you have something that, is, that transcends your feelings. It transcends the culture. It transcends so many things. So you don't have to fall for things. You have to know the Bible. You have to know what it says. You have to know the theology of it. You have to, you have to dig into it, and you have to live it and breathe it and consume it and treasure it. And Christians can be the prime target for, for people that fall away and, and fall into things that are just crazy. Like, you probably all have a crazy, charismatic Christian church story. I have dozens. Like, we can sit around and laugh at dozens of stories like that. But it breaks my heart at the same time because I see people being led astray because they just don't know the word. The mark of a true disciple is that you remain in Jesus' word. Let me tell you, as your pastor, I assume that you are in the Word during the week. I know that probably most of you are. Every single one of you, if I, if I said, how much are you in the Word? Every one of you would be like, I wish I was in it more. I think I need to be in it more. All of us feel that way. I feel that way often, like, man, I wish I was, I wish I was studying more. Um, if, if the only time you ate food, physical food, like the food you chew, not spiritual food, and the only time you ate was when you came to church, you would be very physically unhealthy because you're getting donuts once a week. Like, the only time you're eating is donuts once a week, you're going to die soon, okay? If the only time you're getting, if I was walking around and I was like being all like weak and shaking, and I was like, I'm so hungry, I'm so hungry, just... Jessica's just not feeding me. Every one of you would be like, what's wrong with you? Feed yourself, dummy. Like, people leave churches all the time saying, you know, I had to leave that place. I just wasn't being fed. It's not the church's job to feed you. Like, you have to feed yourself. You have to be in the Word yourself. Like, it's, I'm going to prepare a great meal for you. It's yummy, spiritually yummy. But this better not be the only, you are not healthy if the only time you're getting spiritual nourishment is on Sunday morning. You don't have a healthy spiritual life. 
even if you're like really digging into it on Sunday morning, you're not going to have a healthy spiritual life. You have to you have to be in the Word yourself, and the Word is the thing that's going to give you power to change your life and to line everything in your life up with the way that Jesus wants you to live. It won't just transform the things that you do; it will literally transform the, the things that you want to do. It transforms your thoughts and your minds and your actions, and and it it will teach you who God is and how he wants to interact with you in your life and how to get to heaven and how to have joy and how to overcome addictions and how to how to have peace in in, in the midst of a, a terrible storm and how to overcome anxiety and how to overcome anything that would come against you and it's not just it's not just thinking up stuff and having bad pizza and then kicking people like that's not what it's about. That's not in the word. If you just live by your gut, you will go to some really dark places. If if your feelings are the thing that are driving you, you'll end up in some really dark places. There has to be an authoritative, something with authority that's this meta-narrative that is far beyond what you are doing on your own. And that thing has to be leading and guiding you. Because the way you feel today is not going to be the way you feel tomorrow. Think about if, if that was your workout plan. If your fitness plan was, you're going to work out every time you feel like it. You're never going to work out. Like, you know, I'm going to get up early. I'm going to start Monday. And like Monday comes and goes, you're like, well, I'm going to start next Monday. That's what I meant, next Monday. And then next Monday comes and goes, you're like, okay, I'm going to start New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. Like, I'm going to start New Year's Day. On January 1st, I'm going to work. No, you're not. There has to be something that's driving you that's not based off of how you feel right? So is the Bible an authority over your life at all? Does the Bible have authority? Because we, we can read the Bible sometimes, and I've heard this more than I've heard anything else about the Bible. The Bible's boring. Like, I think it's a sin to make the Bible boring. If you think the Bible's boring, that is absolute, tr- absolute fact that you do not understand it. If you will study it, I promise you it is not boring. And, and you want to be entertained it, like your, you have your apps, your social media apps, and you got, you got like three minutes on a TikTok to be entertained. And you're like, three minutes? I don't have three minutes to watch a TikTok. And then like two hours later, you've watched 10 million TikToks. And then you know what the worst thing is? You're like, oh, man, what was that TikTok? What did they say? And there is no way to go back and find out. Which, what that, it's impossible. So um, you want the word of God to be like TikTok. If it doesn't capture my attention within like 60 seconds, done. And so you, you open it up and you read so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so begat so-and-so. And so and you're like, swipe. And you're looking for the TikTok dance. And it's not, that's not what it's about. You're not going to be entertained because the power of the word comes in and it actually transforms the way that you even think about the word. But you have to get into it. And I, I promise you, the Bible's like Turkish delight. The more you eat, the more you want, and it just keeps growing, and you, you'll, you'll read some of it, and you're like, oh, this is so good. I want some more, and then you, you want some more, and you want some more, and you want some more. When you're working out, you're eating better, and it's just this, this, this thing that happens as you're just putting the action to it. We have to answer the question of our own soul, like how do we... The worst, some of the worst things I've seen is like, like I want to really understand the context of the word, and so I want to understand God speak to me today. And so you pray, and and it can even be a, like a really sincere prayer. And like God speak to me today, and you sit the Bible down on the table, 
on its spine, and then you let it go. God, speak to me from the word. And it's like, oh, Psalms again. Cool. Like, <laughs> it's going to go in the middle every time. You don't have to be a genius to figure that one out. Um, so you're like, okay, I guess I'll read Psalms 104 again. Um, and uh, so you, you'll read. You, you, that's not a good plan to understand what God wants to speak to you. Okay? That's, it's not a magic formula. Okay? You, another thing that people say is, you know, a verse a day keeps the devil away. Nuh-uh. It does not. A verse is not enough. Y'all are really bad. <laughs> like, you need way more than a verse, okay? So um, we need to understand the context of how it all fits together. One of my favorite ways to, to illustrate context is Mark chapter 8. So they bring this guy to Jesus to heal him. He's blind. And, and they bring this blind guy to Jesus to heal him, and Jesus kicks him in the face. Not really. If you knew the Bible, you would know that was a joke. So they, they bring this blind guy to Jesus, and he, he spits, and he rubs it in his eyes, and then he asks him, can you see? And he says, well, not really. He can kind of half see. He's like, it looks like trees are walking around. People look like trees that are walking around. And so he touches him a second time, and then he's completely healed. Okay? Well, you know the story. If you're familiar with the Bible, you know the story. The very next story is Jesus says to, to the disciples, he's like, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist, some say a prophet, one of the prophets. And, uh, and then he says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. And Jesus says, that's right. That's right. And the, the Lord has spoken that to you. The Lord told you that. And he said, I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be crucified. And on the third day, I'm going to ri- rise again. And Peter's like, no, no way. And so look at the context of what's happening. Why in the world would that story, because in the Greek, Mark wrote this in Greek, and in the Greek, there's no chapters and verses. It doesn't split it up. It doesn't have headings where it says, this is the blind guy healing, and then this is Jesus talking. It's all together. It's all one story. And so Mark writes it in there because he's illustrating right in the middle of the story of Mark, there's this blind guy, because the disciples are only half seeing what's going on. They're only seeing it blurry. They have an idea of who Jesus is and what he's doing, but they don't quite get it yet because they need something more from Jesus. And so the entire second half of the Gospel of Mark is getting them to understand who Jesus is with clarity because they need a second touch. They need Jesus to be Jesus. And so Jesus doesn't half heal this guy because he didn't have breakfast that morning. It was, Jesus didn't just half heal that guy and the guy sees blurry to, because he was just weak and tired that day. He did it to illustrate something, and he ended up healing him, but he did it to illustrate that, that the, the disciples still needed Jesus, and they, they had a lot more to learn, but they're on their way. They're on their way to their ultimate healing. Every story in the Bible is set up to get you to understand the next story or the last story, or the story that you read all the way years ago. And it is not boring. It is extremely exciting because the Bible is alive and well, but you have to understand how it flows and what the purpose is. You have to be able to follow that thread of Jesus from Genesis to Revelation because Jesus is in every bit of it. Amen? So, He says, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. The truth is the government isn't coming to save us. I feel like 
Y'all need to get that a little more than you got it. The truth is, the government isn't coming to save us. No matter what this month's election month is, says, no matter what happens, I saw a thing where uh, you've seen the videos where the, there's like a person standing right here, and then the same person is standing right here, and it looks like they're having a conversation. So they make it. So the guy's like, it says the year 2000 at the bottom, George Bush or whoever. And then he says, so this person saying, and then this person says, I don't like the results of the election. And he's, and he's like, and then this person says, so vote differently. So then this person is like, I don't like it. Because every time what happens is in the midterms, they switch and then they elect somebody different. And then in the midterms, they switch and then they elect somebody different. And the midterms, they switch and it goes back and forth and nothing changes. You know why? I'm going to teach you a new Bible word. It's because they're all, this is Greek, liars. They're all liars. They're not coming to save us. The government's not coming to save us. No matter what law comes along, no matter what group is in charge, that will not set you free. The truth will set you free. The truth is found in the living word of God, and that is the only thing that will set you free. And Jesus connects freedom and truth. The way that you connect, I mean, the way that you can have freedom is in truth. Our culture does this thing where they say, no, the Bible's just a list of rules, and you have to follow all those rules. And if you get all those rules right, then you will be free. That's not it at all. Jesus says the truth, those rules are literally what sets you free. Those rules give you freedom. In our culture, they, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little bit of a history lesson for a second. About 200 years ago, the, the postmodern thought process comes in. And whenever we talk about truth, um, the postmodern thought was before every, like, in, in philosophically and academically and scientifically, you would go after facts. Facts and truth were the same thing, okay? Like, water boils at 212 degrees, water freezes at 32. Those are facts. I don't care how you feel about that. That is a fact, right? Okay, so... 200 years ago, postmodern thought comes in, and it says the problems with truth claims is that governments and power structures use truth to oppress people. And we can look back through church history and see that absolutely the, the people in power would hoard the truth for themselves, and they would use it to oppress people. We can see it happening today that in not specific churches that I would ever want to call out, but th they say, if you will do this, then God will bless you. Well, that's not how it works. If you will give to our ministry, we will send you a prayer cloth, and it will bless you. Look, I just don't think that's how it works. I don't see that in the Bible. All I'm trying to do is live by the Bible. And so absolute truth, the postmodern thought is absolute truth is oppressive and authoritarian, and absolute truth can enslave everyone, so there is no absolute truth. Or the famous phrase, your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth. I will live by my truth, and you live by your truth. Well, my truth says your truth is stupid. That's the truth, okay? If we look at something like two plus two is four, that is a fact, Okay, I don't care how you feel about it. That is a fact. But is it true? Because our culture has divorced fact and truth. 
just like they've divorced sex and gender. It's, it's broken. There's blurriness. It's all disconnected and discombobulated. And so what we need to do is we need to understand that truth is truth, and the truth will set you free. You believe Jesus is the only way to heaven, so that is your truth. This is what they would say to you. Other people might believe that, that Islam is the way, or Hinduism is the way, or Jehovah's Witness is the way, or Mormonism is the way. You can't say that Jesus is the only way because there's no absolute truth. And Jesus comes in and he's pushing against that because there is truth and you need to find it. And the only way to be free is if you find the truth, period. Listen, Christians, I'm not, this is for you. It is weak and easy for you to go to Thanksgiving dinner and try not to offend anybody by not speaking the truth. So you have temporary peace with your family because you're that guy that comes and and riles things up. You know, everybody has, whenever you go visit your family, everybody's got that one crazy family that comes, right? If you don't, guess what you are? If you can't think of the other crazy family that comes to your, your house at Christmas or Thanksgiving, you're the crazy family that everybody else in your family is talking about, okay? Listen, trading this temporary peace by not speaking the truth, trading this temporary peace for eternal separation is not worth it. In the end, you're going to wish that you had grabbed a hold and taught and spoke absolute truth, right? So... Whenever you ask somebody that doesn't believe in absolute truth, I love this because I, I love to have these discussions because it's, it's so easy to trap someone. Like, it's so easy to, to trap them with their own logic. If, if you know someone like that, then I've always asked them, do you believe in right and wrong? Yes, of course I believe in right and wrong. How do you get what is wrong and what is right? Well, I go by, like, how I, I feel that this is wrong. You know, there are some cultures in the world that feel like loving your neighbor is a good thing, and it's right. There are some cultures in the world that feel like eating your neighbor is a good thing and right. Well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> like, cannibalism is wrong. You should not eat your neighbor. Please don't. That's the wrong kind of barbecue. Please don't. Um, but we all know that. It's not, it's, that is absolutely true. Don't eat people, right? I used to have the shirt that said, fact, clowns eat people. Yeah, I know. Clowns are scary. Little kids hated it. So <clears throat> absolute truth. People say absolute truth is evil and corrupting, and it's a power grab. And corrupt people have had the truth, and they've used it for power in the past. So um, saying that there's not absolute truth is literally a truth statement in itself. So you're sitting there on a branch sawing it off as you're sitting on it saying there's no such thing as absolute truth. Are you absolutely sure of that? And then they say, well, except for, except for that statement. Like, seriously. Jesus pushes back and he says there is truth and that truth is going to set you free. And Christians need to be a prophetic voice in our culture, declaring the truth over all of the nonsensical messages that, all, that people are getting coming from every direction. We need to be people that are speaking truth all the time, no matter what. Jesus says, if you base your life on truth, it will set you free. If you believe in Jesus, you let him lead, you are truly free. And our culture literally reverses it exactly. They say, when I feel free, that's the truth. 
I know that's the truth because I feel free. Again, we're back to feelings. When I feel when I feel free internally, that's what is true. You can't challenge truth in me because truth is purely subjective and individualistic and internal. If you go to a bookstore, you know what the number one biggest section is? The self-help section. Because in our culture, it is go and look for truth within yourself. The problem with looking for truth within yourself is, one, there is no truth in there in and of yourself. There is no truth. There is only death. And you, if you find something that you call truth, then you are going to have to continually worship at the altar and be a slave to M-E, a slave to self. Um, Kierkegaard says this, we think freedom is getting rid of all social restraints and doing whatever we want, but that isn't freedom, that's slavery, because now we're a slave to our feelings, we're a slave to our passions, we're enslaved to the cultural moment that we're living in, we're enslaved to what the media says, or the things that we listen to, or we're enslaved to the family that we have. We need an objective reality that shakes us free, that is beyond the things that we can develop and build on our own. We see slavery in our culture all the time, and some of the consequences of slavery in our culture, if you look at the whole gender debate, where they're letting men or boys compete in girls' sports, where are the feminists now? Like, like they just disappeared all of a sudden? Like, why would they let boys go in and totally dominate in sports? Now, if it was like the Mathlympics or something like that, women are smarter than men, period. Like, that's easy to see. They're just not stronger, and they're not faster. So that's, that's, that's just fact. And there's people in here that are disagreeing. A lot of y'all are faster than me. It's fine. <laughs> biological men should not be competing with biological women because it's unfair, and it's, but it's based on an internal feeling. I, knew, uh, I heard a story about a guy who, uh, in Canada, he wanted to get vaccinated. I'm not going to talk about the vaccination, okay? So I know how y'all feel. Y'all have already told me a million times, okay? So... You can't turn everything into, like, everything in culture is a question. So, or is in question. The guy said um, that he wanted the Johnson & Johnson vax because that's the best one. And so he just said, but in Canada, they were only given the Johnson & Johnson vax to healthcare workers and indigenous people. So he called, and he knew he really wanted that one. He really, really wanted that one. And so they said, are you a healthcare worker? And he said, no. And they said, are you an indigenous person? And he said, no. And they said, do you identify as an indigenous person? And he said, do I get to get the Johnson & Johnson vax if I identify as an indigenous person? And they said, yes, you do. And he said, yes, I identify as an indigenous person. Like, I, I cannot understand. Culture has just decided there's no such thing as truth. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It is completely, we have to be this anti-culture um, group of people that are holding on to truth and showing other people truth, because it is not subjective to how you feel. It's not subjective to anything. So um, D.A. Carson said this, true freedom is not the liberty to do anything we please, but the liberty to do what we ought to do. Man, just read that first sentence. It is so good. True freedom is not the liberty to do anything we please, but the liberty to do what we ought to do. And it is genuine liberty because doing what we ought now as believers pleases us. That is what happens in us. So Jesus said in uh, John 18, he said, you say, he's, he's on trial. 
And Pilate is, is speaking to him. And he says, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this pers- purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate says, what is truth? This is, the mo- this is one of the, mo- the craziest exchanges in all of history. There has been one person to walk the planet that could answer that question. Just one. And it was Jesus. And Pilate accidentally asks him the most important question that's ever been asked in history because Jesus said, the whole reason I came is to testify to the truth. The whole reason I'm here is to testify to the truth. And Pilate accidentally says, well, what is truth? And then that dodo turns and walks away. And he says, I see no fault in him. He doesn't wait for Jesus to answer. What would that answer have been? The answer would have been me. I'm the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. You want to know how to get to truth? It's Jesus. He's like, I'm the truth, and I bring freedom. Freedom from the penalty of your sin, which is death. We know that the wages of sin is death. And we know because we have Jesus, because we have decided to follow Jesus, because we've repented, we were going our way, and now we're going God's way. Because we have done that, we know that in the end, we have Jesus. And that's a really good thing, right? That Jesus saves you from the penalty of death. That's good, right? But wait, there's more. It's not just in the end. Read Romans 6, 7, and 8, and it says that that we are dead to sin and alive in God. That we, we are now slaves to righteousness. We're released from the law that brought death. And now we have life in the Spirit. It is so, it's not just in the end that we get Jesus and we get freedom. We get freedom now. And that freedom is instantaneously ours whenever we are free from the power of sin today. That power no longer is a separator of you and God. Now you get to be with God. And the eternal problem we all have to deal with is sin. Every person on the planet that has ever walked on the planet has to deal with the issue of sin. Either they grab a hold of it and they hold on to it forever. And you know what? God loves you enough to let you continue separated from him forever. But he also loves you enough to let you respond to him. And he comes and he saves us, not just from hell in the end, but he saves how sin had power over your marriage and no longer. Sin had power over your finances and no longer. Sin had you in addiction and no longer. You have free from that. Christian, do you understand? You are free from the power that sin has in your life. You no longer have to be subject to sin in your life. The only power sin has in your life is the power that you freely give it. So stop it. Just don't. Just don't give sin power in your life. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Free in every way that matters because Jesus solves your sin problem. I'm going to finish with this quote here. I love this. This is J.C. Ryle. He says, Yet after all our boasting, there are many so-called free men who are nothing better than slaves. There are many who are totally ignorant of the highest, purest form of liberty. The noblest liberty is that which is the property of the true Christian. We actually have the highest liberty. Those are only perfectly free people whom the Son of God makes free. Let us never rest till we have some personal experience of this freedom ourselves. Without it, all other freedom is worthless privilege. Free speech, 
Free laws, political freedom, commercial freedom, national freedom, all these cannot smooth down a dying pillow or disarm death of its sting or fill our consciences with peace. Nothing can do that but the freedom with the freedom which Christ alone bestows. He gives it freely to all who seek it humbly. Then let us never rest until it is our own. God, we thank you so much that you continue to set us free. We thank you that where um, sin has taken hold in our lives, that we understand that you are the one that brings freedom, that when we know the truth, that truth sets us free. So right now, Lord, I speak truth over every issue of every family that is represented in this room or watching online or listening to the podcast. I thank you, Lord, that your truth is going to start setting captives free whenever they just let go of control of their own life and they run after you and they allow you to speak and they allow you um, Um, other people in their life to draw them into the truth. You are so good, God. We do not deserve your unwavering and undying love for us, but you still just lavish it out on us as your kids. How great is the love that you lavish out on us as your sons and daughters. We thank you, God. We love you, and we want to run after you with everything we've got. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.